Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you. I'm not making announcements <laughs> today, but um, just hope to share with you something that God has been stirring in me. And so, you know, I'm going to concentrate this morning on, <clears throat> on seeing your faces. I, I was not arguing with Hunter, but I guess we were debating the other day. I just told him, I, I said, Hunter, I can't see anyone when I'm up here. I don't know if anyone's here. So like, find Gary. Find Gary. Oh, there he is. There he is. And he, and Hunter said, um, Hunter said, I can see everyone fine. Like, it's no problem. And so I'm going to, fo- I'm, I'm, maybe it's a focus thing. I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to work on that. The young eyes. Yes. That's, thank you. Well, guys, it is July 31st, July 31st, and the summer seems to be cruising by. Um, I don't know about you, I, maybe it's a dad thing, but I, I find myself every morning looking at the weather and trying to, you know, look ahead down the extended forecast to see double-digit numbers instead of triple-digit. Thank you. Thank you. John's with me. I see John. And, okay, and... Uh, I can't see any yet. Like I haven't. I've been checking for weeks. It seems like every <laughs> every uh, day in July, I've been checking, and all I see is is three digit numbers. But Lord willing, it's coming. Relief is coming. But um, you know, in so much, guys, does technology ever scare you a little bit? It scares me a little bit. Um, just talking, thinking about the, uh, just checking the weather. Uh, my phone has started predicting what I'm going to do, and. So I'll get up in the morning, and I, you know, I, after I figure out that I'm, I'm alive and I'm, my, feet, my legs work and I swing them off the bed, I pick up my phone, and there's an alert. You usually check the weather this time. <laughs> Tap here. So I'm like, really? Do you? Really, really? And then, you know, I put on my running shoes certain days, and it's like, you usually listen to podcasts about this time. And I'm like, okay. So I don't know. That's, I don't know what to think about that. Um, but if it, if it starts saying, um, your wife would really like this item on Amazon, I'll, I'll know that she's messing with it somehow. But um, to, to this point, it has not, it has not uh, done something like that. But in it, I appreciate technology, and sometimes it's the most frustrating thing in the world. But um, I'm thankful for it. Guys, we're going to go to the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians and we're in chapter 1, toward the end of the chapter, and then we're going to move into chapter 2. And I'll just, uh, I'll just let you know right off the bat, the purpose of today's message is to, to stir you up uh, and to stir myself up. I just want to share what God has been stirring up in me, and I want to share that with you and... Uh, you know, when you say stir up, you, that could mean a hundred things, right? I mean, you can spend five minutes on Facebook and get stirred up about a whole bunch of stuff. But I'm talking about a good stirring here uh, because I want to, I want to uh, meditate and focus today on the depth of what Christ has done on our behalf. And there's no better place in Scripture <laughs> that, than, than the end of Ephesians and into, into Ephesians chapter 2 
uh, the end of chapter 1 into chapter 2. And as I've been reading over this the last couple weeks, God has, um, boy, he's done, a, he's done a work in me through this. And so I just want to pass that on to you this morning. And uh, Lord willing, you'll be able to see, you'll be able to see in a clearer way just exactly what our God has done for us. So let's look in Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look here in verse 20. I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you don't mind, if you're able. If you're able to stand, we'll read here. We're going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 through 23. So not a whole chapter this morning, but just a few verses, and then we'll continue on into chapter 2 after uh, we get into the message. Yep, so the end, of, the end of chapter 1 here, verse 20. The Bible tells us he exercised this power in Christ, speaking of God, by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything under his feet. And appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. And God, we, we, we look and see this morning the scope of your power and authority. Lord, we're going to see the state of man, and then we're going to see the rescue that you purchased for us in Christ. And so God, would you... Would you open our eyes this morning? Lord, as I deliver this message, God, would it, would it be one that continues its work in me? And God, would you help us to walk away from here today, Lord, uh, encouraged, God, challenged, uh, renewed in our love for you. Stir up passions for you within each of us today. We trust you for that, God. We look forward to what you will accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. You know, the book of Ephesians is rich. Boy, it is rich in truth about who God is and who he's made us to be. And as we, as we roll in here toward the end of chapter 1, uh, God is speaking, or, or uh, Paul is, is uh, giving us a picture into the power and the authority of God. And how that he has transferred that power and authority and how that he shares that with his son. In verse 19, uh, before we get into 20, it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength? And then he says, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Guys, he conquered death. Now talk about the ultimate display of power. God displayed it by raising Christ from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Not only that, but he, he takes, a, he takes a, a verse here to explain just how far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given. So it wasn't just, a, uh, it, it wasn't just this hierarchy where there's ruler, power, title, Christ, but it says far above. So he's way up there in the stacking order, right? He supersedes the order. It says it's far above every other ruler. 
and every, bu- and, and, and every title given. In other words, there's no other title, whether it's king or queen or prince or whatever it may be, president, czar. You can start thinking of some obscure titles. It doesn't matter what it is. He given. And then he says, not only in this age, but in the one to come. So he's talking about the scope of his authority. His power and authority, it's not only right now, but any other age that's to come, it, that's, it extends to that. So it's never going to end. It's continual. His power and authority is ultimate, and it's forever. It's pretty vast. And then it goes on in verse 22. It says, he subjected everything under his feet. Everything. Wow. Everything is subject to him. It means there's not one thing, not a created thing, that is not under subjection of Christ. It says he appointed him as head over everything for the church. I talked a little bit, uh, we talked a little bit with, uh, uh, with Hunter and Red and Donna about this. I think it was uh, us, we, I was sharing with them this past Wednesday just about how that, um, how that God has appointed his son as head over everything, everything for the church. And how we are, we are literally the, the, the body of Christ on this earth. And we know that the church is often referred to as the body of Christ. But the function of the body is to, is to, is to carry out the activities of the human, right? When, when we're speaking of a human being, uh, without a body, we would have a hard time interacting with, this, with anyone, right? I, I don't know what we would look like, but I don't know that we would have a look. Uh, but, but our body allows us to to respond and to interact with the world around us. And God, in his infinite wisdom, tells us that he has appointed Christ over the church, which is his body. He has named believers as the body, the functional part of Christ in this world. That's pretty amazing. Uh, That means that what he is looking to accomplish in this world, he is looking to accomplish through his body, the church. And then he says, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. You know, just kind of wraps it up with that. So if, in case he missed everything, he says, he's the fullness who fills all things in every way. It's just God and Christ and this, 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 uh, this overarching power and presence in this world. And so uh, through the Spirit's leading Paul uh, Paul pens this for these Ephesians, and he is calling them to observe the power and authority of Christ that is ultimate. It's ultimate. All things in every way. And guys, that's the God we serve. That is the God we serve. That is the scope of his power and dominion. Now this is maybe, you know, an inch and a half of text here. And understanding that we cannot, we cannot confine God to just a small portion of Scripture, but wow, just what we've been given here is pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible, and we can look at that, and we can mull it over, and we can consider all of these things, and we could spend a long time just chewing on that and talking more about it, and I hope, we, hope that we do. It's It's Christ. It is Christ, all things in every way. So that's a look at Christ's power. Christ's power. 
he is above all things. He's over all things. All things are subjected under his feet. He's the head of the church. All things in every way is Christ. And so, uh, as I read down through this chap- this, uh, the end of this chapter, it's, it's great. God is amazing. And we get this little glimpse into, just a little glimpse of his power and authority. And, and it's thrilling. That's the God we serve. And it's, it's exciting. And it's wonderful. And we can build a life on that. And then, we ask ourselves, now where do we fit into this? What is our part in this amazing, this, um, th- th- this, uh, uh, this amazing picture of God and his authority. And maybe, I don't know if Paul anticipated those questions, but he, he comes to the Ephesians and starts out chapter 2, telling them, reminding them about where their place in all of this is. He says, and you were dead. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Wait, wait What? After all this flex of power and authority, we're wondering, where do we fit in? What what is our part in this grand, glorious hierarchy of awesomeness? Oh, you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. What? What? That's the part we play? We're the dead guy? You know, nobody wants to be the dead guy. Nobody wants to audition for the dead guy. Uh, It just doesn't... It's not very glorious, right? But the Bible clearly tells us you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead and devoid of life. We had nothing. We had nothing. And I want to spend a few minutes just talking about and unpacking a little bit how dead we were. Well, before we get into, the, get into that, um, many of you guys, uh, there's a classic movie from the 80s called The Princess Bride. Um, anyone know that one? Okay, okay, that, that's what I thought. Yes, and uh, if you've seen it, which many most probably have, um, you know that, that Wesley, Wesley is, he ends up getting tortured by, uh, I think it's Humperdinck, and he... He gets tortured to death in the pit of despair on the machine, and it's awful. And, and uh, you know, Inigo and, and Fezzik, they, they retrieve his body, and they carry him to uh, Miracle Max. Remember Miracle Max? And um, they take him into Miracle Max, and then uh, something happens in there, and I wanted to share a little clip with you this morning. It, it kind of goes along what we're going to talk about. Guys, if you have that, I want you to cue that up. Max declares that, that Wesley is only mostly dead. Because mostly dead is slightly alive, right? And uh, I thought that was funny. As I was considering, I was, I was considering this, I thought of that. And, and how uh, 
how that, that's just kind of a humorous, uh, just a humorous glimpse at the idea of death and how that, I, I think sometimes when we, when we consider our spiritual condition, uh, because we are, because our hands and our, our feet work and our minds work, it's hard for us to, to, to believe that somehow we were dead, right? Because we're walking around uh, um, or, you know, even, even if you're, you're unable to walk, but you're able to, you know, you're able to breathe and you're able to function in other ways, you are, because there is some sort of physical life in us, we have a hard time believing the, the, the scope of, of a verse like chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, and you were dead. But I want to declare to you this morning that we were not mostly dead. We were not slightly alive. We were actually completely spiritually dead. God did not see you as, or me, with one as potential that just needed someone to believe in them. Right? We, we were not just uh, lost and in need of someone to point us in the right direction. Um, sometimes we, we think, well, I was, I was just sick and, and needed someone to heal me. You know, or I, was, I, was part, I, I made it part of the way, but I just needed someone to get me over the hump. But that's not the case either. We weren't down and in need of encouragement or uh, we didn't need God to come along and improve our lives or make them better. Friends, we had no hope and no future because we were dead. We were dead on the inside. And although our out, outside, our, our, our arms and legs may, may function, and we may have certain uh, function, functioning capacities, we were dead on the inside. And there was no life in us. There was nothing. We had no hope. We had no future. We didn't have potential. There was nothing that could save us. We didn't have a pulse. There was nothing. A healing would do us no good. Better behavior would not improve us. We needed nothing short of a resurrection. And that is what God provided for us. Let's look at uh, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, These trespasses and sins which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Guys, what are the ways of this world? Oh, they're ugly. They're ugly, aren't they? We see them. We see them all the time. We live among the ways of this world. It's all kinds of debauchery. It's all kinds of blasphemy. It's, it's rooted and based in pride and greed and, and arrogance and God's word is telling us that we lived, we lived according to those ways. According to the ruler of the power of the air. That's Satan. That's Satan. And he is under God's authority, but God has given him, God has given him reign over this earth. And it says, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And guys, that was our condition. That was our condition. We were dead. We were dead. We had nothing. We had nothing. Let's continue on. Look what it says. It says, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires. 
carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. That's where we were, guys. If you are here today and you are in Christ, there was a time in your life when you were spiritually dead. And there may be people sitting in here today, you do not have a relationship with Christ, and today you are spiritually dead. It's not, uh, you know, it's not something where there's, like, you know, th- this hierarchy where you're, you're, a, you're, you're a worse person than someone else. The fact is that we, we all have that same condition outside of Christ, dead. It's not about that I'm doing better things than you or you're doing better things than me. It's that we all have the same position and that is completely dead. Uh, Cold, lifeless, in a spiritual way, without Christ. Now why is that? Well, look here at the end of... Look here at the end of uh, verse number 3. It says that we carried out these inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. Guys, that's why. It's because our very nature, our very nature, the very essence of who I was at the core of my being was ultimately evil and ultimately dead. Not mostly dead. Ultimately dead. Nothing. Devoid of life. Now, guys, why is this such an important distinction to make? You know, why do we, why does it matter? You know, what if I was just kind of dead or mostly dead? What if I, so what if, you know, my, maybe my life wasn't going great and I, and I just, I needed Jesus to come make it better um, as opposed to being completely dead and unable to do anything for myself? Why is it, you know, I mean, as long as we get to the same goal, which is Jesus, why does it matter? Well, here's why it matters, because as long as I'm under the impression that there was something good in me, that I had some value to bring to the table, that there was any sign of innate goodness found, then I will miss the depth and scope of the gospel, and I will cheapen the incredible nature of God's glorious rescue. And guys, it, it really is, it's, 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 uh, that's why I, I, I want to spend the time in, just looking at the scripture and in talking about the depth of our death, it's because it's so important to understand. There's a shift in your mind that takes place when you understand that there was no goodness in me, that I had nothing, that I was completely lost and completely dead, and that while maybe some of my physical functions were working, my physical faculties had some sort of life in them, at a spiritual level, at the core of my being, who I really was, I was born dead. I was a spiritual stillborn. I had no life and no future and no pulse. We can't fully celebrate our life in Christ until we truly grieve our death and sins. Guys, we were dead. We were dead. Um... A person who understands that they had zero can be truly grateful when that condition changes and, and, and it is someone else who has brought them to a new state. And that's, that's where we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2. So we see God's power. We see man's position. And then we want to talk about God's provision. God's provision. Let's look in chapter 2, 
in verse 4. But God. But God. What's about to happen here? We may not even know, but we know it's going to be good because it says, but God. And anytime you see that, you know something incredible is about to unfold. He says, the Bible says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. Which God? The rich one. The one that's rich in mercy. The one with mercy all over him. That God. Why? Because he felt bad for us? You know, no, it says, the Bible says because of the great love he had for us. He had pity on us, but it was out of a great love. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. He made us alive even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. That God. That God made us alive. He simply willed it into being. It was not a process. It was not a process where we went from dead to mostly dead to slightly alive. No, it wasn't that. It was something that he declared. It was a declaration. He said, you have nothing and I am going to make you alive. He called us. He drew us by his spirit. And in a moment, in that moment where his mercy intersected with our greatest need, he made us alive. He made us alive. Wow. There's nothing we could do. Only his grace could save us. And that's what he did. And that's what Paul says right there. End of verse 5. You are saved by grace. It's grace. And guys, can't you see that the, that's, all the, that's the only hope we had? Because there was nothing else. I mean, th- there was nothing else that we had. Helpless. Life less. Grace was all that would make a difference. And that is what God brought to us. He saved us by grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus. Now, check this out. I saw I was I was just reading through this, reading through again this morning. And look at verse 6. It says, He also raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. And then in, in, uh, back up into chapter 1 of verse 20, it says, He exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in, his, in the heavens. So guys, he did the same thing for us that he did with his son. He raised up Jesus and set him at his right hand, that place of ultimate authority and power. And then it says here in Uh, This verse, in in verse 6 of chapter 2, that he also raised us up with him and seated us with him at the right hand. Wow. We're right there with Christ. We are joint heirs with Jesus. He's He's put us in that position of power and authority, and he's given that to us in Christ. And man, I mean, you talk about, you know, you talk about rags to riches, and I don't know, I think, you know, rags to riches is kind of a, I don't know if it's a perfect correlation because, uh, you know, someone with rags, at least they have rags, right? But we, we had literally less than rags. We, we literally had no life. And God has brought us from that position 
by his love, because of his grace, by his mercy, and has put us in the ultimate place of authority and power with his son, Jesus. Man, how does that, that doesn't happen. Except, but God, but God, this is what he's done for us. Wow. Look there at verse number, verse number six, or rather verse number seven. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Guys, why did he do that? Why did he do what he did for us? Was it so he could build a huge army? So that he would have people that would, uh, you know, enlist in some sort of a, uh, some sort of a work crew? Well, he has good works for us to do. We see that in verse 10 of, the, the, uh, of chapter 2. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. But that was not the motivation behind it. Look what he says here. He says, so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He wanted someone to be able to lavish his loving kindness on. And we're the recipients of that. Wow. He wanted someone to be able to lavish his love on. Someone to be able to display his kindness to. That's why he raised us up. Because he loved us. And he has, he wanted to take those vast riches and share them with his children, through his love and by his kindness. Wow. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. And I feel like when I read through this, like even now, I feel like it, it's almost a workout for me. I just read through this, and I see God's power. I see my uh, my position. And then I see God's provision. And it's just, uh, it is so grand and so vast and so beautiful and so amazing. It's so hard to comprehend. And yet here we are. Here we are in, in God's, not only in his good graces, but in his lavish kindness. And we're here in this, in this space of freedom when, and he's taking us from literally nothing, from death to the highest place of life. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I think, guys, sometimes, and I know some of you are like this, but, uh, you know, sometimes growing up as a, I grew up as a kid, and, uh, well, we all grew up as kids, I guess. It's like saying I was born at an early age, you know. Um. As a kid growing up, it was, I grew up in a, uh, in a religious environment. I went to church all the time. I actually lived two doors down from the church. So, you know, going to church meant stumbling out on the sidewalk and, you know, getting, walking 50 feet down. But, um, uh, you know, was a pretty decently behaved kid. Mom and dad were, you know, in the ministry. Uh, I mean, I knew I did bad stuff and that sort of thing. And 
went to Bible college and, you know, lived a pretty, a pretty moral life. And so I think as a, as a younger person, I didn't really grasp onto this. You know, I, you'd hear, I would hear preachers preach about fantastic conversion experiences and how their, their life before Christ was filled with manifestations of sin, right? They were whatever, you know, the whole, a whole list of things. And then, you know, God, God came, swooped in and, and rescued them and saved them, and they were excited about it. And I think it was difficult for me. I struggled a little bit to, to, to consider myself as bad as somebody who was clearly lost in sin. And what a passage like this does, guys, uh, is it clears up all of that. It takes away all of the external, all the external manifestations of a sinful nature, and it simply declares you were dead. You were dead. It doesn't matter what your behavior looked like. You may have been a moral, a moralish person, uh, or you may have been uh, the worst kind of uh, derelict in, in your behavior. It doesn't matter, though. We all uh, we've heard the uh, the phrase that the ground is level at the cross, and and that's true in a number of ways, but no way is greater than this fact is that we were dead. We were dead. And it doesn't matter what my background is or my past or what I did or didn't do as a kid or uh, how good, what, what kind of decisions I've made. All of that is, doesn't mean anything in regard to our state before Christ, which was simply dead. Simply dead. And guys, if anything, God's, God has just worked in me, even, even in recent days, man, even in the last couple of months. Just about, I mean, I knew that. I knew that I was, you know, a sinner and that, I, but I think it's just when you, when your life, when your actions and your behaviors are a certain way um, and you start comparing them with other people's actions and behaviors, you can come to this place where you think, yeah, I'm a sinner, but I'm not that kind of a sinner, right? Like, I know this, but at least I'm, you know what I'm saying there? And so, God has brought me to the place recently where, and man, I've, I mean, I've been in, I've been in, uh, I've been under the preaching of God's word for a long time. But he's brought me to that place where he's opened my eyes to the fact that, Jeremy, you were dead. Those people were dead. You were dead. And it was only my grace that brought you life. And so, you know what it does in me, guys, is it just, it makes me grateful. It, it makes me humble. It, it makes me want to celebrate. It, it, it instills in me an awe and a wonder. And ultimately, it just, it simply, it simply makes me point to God for anything in my life that's good. God, that's you. That's you. It's not me. I was dead. A anything good that's happening in my life, any successes I have, any, any sort of gain that I may have uh, in this life or in the next, it's God. It is God because I was dead. 
I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I brought nothing to the table. No potential, just dead. And God breathed his life into me. And if you're a believer this morning, God has done the same for you. He has breathed new life into you. If you don't know Christ this morning, he is ready, willing, and waiting to breathe that same life into you. And you have an opportunity right now. While your physical, your physical body is still alive, you have, you have that opportunity for spiritual resurrection. And that is what Jesus, that is what Jesus came to this world to do. Not simply to heal people's bodies, but to resurrect their, their spirit. And so that is his invitation to you today. And guys, that's the, that's the purpose of today's message. Just to stir us up. To open our eyes to the wonder of God's grace. To recognize our human condition. And recognize God's ultimate provision for our spiritual death. And so I hope it's encouraging to you today. I hope that you'll... Uh, take that home. Boy, I hope that you'll read this short passage of scripture this week. I know I've just, I just decided to read it every morning this week, and man, every time I read, it is something that stirs me up. And uh, boy, it, it, it rekindles my love for God, my passion for him. And that's what I hope to pass on to you this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the truth of the gospel. Lord, we were dead. We were dead, not, not just a little bit, not just mostly, all the way dead. And God, it wasn't just a progression. It, it was all the way. We, Lord, we, we were dead. We had nothing. And God, you, by your grace and by your mercy and because of the great love that you had for us, God, you drew us to yourself and you simply declared that we were alive. And Lord, that great exchange took place. God, our sin, born on Christ on the cross, exchanged for the eternal life of Jesus Christ. And Lord, you raised us up and seated us together with your own Son at your right hand. Lord, I pray for every, every heart here this morning, God, that you, would, that you would stir the truth, the beautiful truth of the gospel in us this morning. God, I pray for the one that may be here this morning who does not know you as their Savior. God, all of this maybe sounds intriguing, but they simply... Uh, maybe don't really understand it or don't really know what to think about it or, or perhaps are, are not really convinced that they're dead because, you know, they walked in here this morning. But God, I pray that you would help that individual Lord, to see that apart from you, they have nothing. Lord, that, that spiritual death is our only option, Lord, as, as when we come into this world. Well, there's nothing else that we have, and we need a resurrection, a spiritual resurrection to bring us to life. And God, would you, would you, by your Spirit, draw people to yourself today? Lord, we trust you. We love you. 
We thank you for what you've done. And Lord, all we can do is respond. We can simply respond to your goodness, Lord, by loving you. Lord, we love you because you did it first. Lord, you, you, you came to us. Lord, we had no way to get to you. We were dead. But God, you came to us. And I'm so glad that you did. Lord, help us not to keep that to ourselves. Help us to, to declare that in conversations, Lord, in our, in our decisions, in our relationships. May we declare your sovereignty and your goodness and your all-encompassing power. We love you this morning, Lord.